Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. You know what's amazing when you read scriptures, when you look into the scriptures and you read, you know, the, the ups and downs of the people of God and Scriptures, you know, it doesn't hide the bad stuff. It doesn't cover up the stuff that, go, that we go through. You look through David's life, for example, and David is probably one of the people that have been, have heart surgery. You know, that God puts him on the operating table and slices him down the middle. And all of us get to see his guts and all of us see his failures and his mistakes and the heartache he goes through, the pain he suffers, his mistakes. And it's like that when you go through scriptures, you find so many people. You find in the New Testament, you find the Apostle Paul. God doesn't hide the stuff that he did wrong, right? It's right there for all of us to see. And that's the amazing thing about God, that God never abandons anyone. No matter how far we go, no matter how deep we sink, God has a plan for our life. And we're never out of His hand. If we put our hand in His hand, He will direct us through every season of life. Amen? Amen. And so it's important to understand that God loves vision. You know why God loves vision? No? You don't want to know? Do you want to know why God loves vision? You sure? You positive? Some of you, anyone want to know? Raise your hand. Amen. You know why God loves vision? Because it shows us His promise. Because His promise is for tomorrow. And He casts something into the future because He wants you to be captivated by what He can do for you today if you see and follow through with what He desires for you. And God has vision because He wants us to see things the way He sees things. And He doesn't just see things in the present. He sees things in the future. He sees things in the past. He's an omnipresent God, which means that He's always present. He moves through time. Not like the way we move through time. We have a very linear progression through time. Which means that I can't go back to yesterday. I can't go back to to, to an hour ago. I can't even go back one second. I can only move forward in time. But God is not constrained by the parameters of time. He can exist in the future. He can exist in the past. And He can exist in the present at the same time. And He can move back and forth at His will. That's what makes Him awesome. Which means that He's in your future preparing it for you already. That He's already there and He knows where He's taking you and He knows what's already prepared for you. He tells us in Jeremiah 29, He tells people this. He says, I have a plan for you. Who was He talking to? He was talking to people that were in exile. He was talking to a bunch of believers who were far away from their homeland. They'd gone through problems. They'd gone through situations. They'd gone through a tremendous sort of upheaval in their lives. And they'd been taken away from their homeland. And they couldn't see what God was doing. They were struggling with understanding. How do we get through this? How do we progress through? And God cast this amazing thought into their lives to show them that He does have plans for them. A plan, not just any plan, but plans to prosper them. Plans to bring them success, to give them a future. These are who he was talking to. A people that had gone through difficult circumstances. But the amazing thing is that God understands the seasons of our life. But he wants us also to realize that there's a better future that's ahead of us. Amen? Amen? 
there's a better future ahead of us. And, and he does this over and over again in our scriptures. He casts vision, especially when we go through difficult circumstances. Because he wants to, us to realize that this is not the end. This is actually a setup for a greater beginning. Do you understand that? This is a setup for a greater beginning. Because the lower you get, the higher you can ascend. You will never know how high you are unless you know how low you've been. Because if, all, if it's all the same level, there will never be levels of life. You follow with me? Sometimes we have to go through some pain in order to know that God is a deliverer. You'll never know if he's a deliverer if he doesn't deliver you from something. And I love what God tells his people that are in the middle of difficult circumstances. Because it always casts a greater vision and a future for us. And I want to read to you this morning a few things that God says about the people that are going through difficult circumstances. Is that right? Yes. All right. Look at, look with me in Jeremiah 29 verse 4. And this is what he says to these people that Jeremiah was just talking about. He was talking to the people of Israel that are going through difficult circumstances. And God speaks to his prophet Jeremiah as he speaks through his word numerous times, he speaks to Jeremiah and he tells them, they said, God, deliver us from this. God, we, we don't understand why we are in Babylon. We don't understand why we've been taken from our homeland. We don't understand why we are under persecution, why we have to go through all of this mess and garbage. And God speaks to them and says something amazing. And I want you to read it with me. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This is God's word. He's speaking to these people that are in exile. Listen to this. And we might think, this doesn't make sense, God, but here it is. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage. So they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number. Do not decrease right he says increase in number do not decrease but here's the amazing thing remember where they were they were in babylon they were in an alien city this was not their home and this amazing thing actually blows their mind because he says this also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which i've carried you into exile Pray for the Lord for it, because if it prospers, guess what? You too will prosper. And he ties in the fate of this city to the lives of his people. And you're thinking, well, God, shouldn't you care about Jerusalem? Shouldn't you care about our homeland? Shouldn't you care about where we came from? But that's not what he says. He says, Seek the peace of the city that you're in. And we can translate that into our lives because you know what? This is not our home. You might live in Melbourne, but this is not your home. We have a home and our home is in heaven. And so we live in an alien city because the people around us don't necessarily love us. 
are not necessarily there to help us. They think Christians are, you know, silly people and we have some antiquated thoughts and antiquated ways and we should forget with the progress and, you know, be very liberal and open-minded and embrace everything and just be like everyone else. But God has called us to live the way he's asked us to live. And so we live in the midst of a, a city that might, might not necessarily love us and embrace us the way we want them to. And so sometimes we struggle with that. But here's what God says. He says, I want you to live. I want you to engage in the life of the city. I want you to engage in the life of each other. And I want you to prosper. And I want you to pray and seek the prosperity of the place you live in. That's what he's saying. It might have sounded strange to them. That God was saying, I want you to prosper an enemy city. But he ties it in. He says, because if it prospers, guess what will happen to you? You will prosper too. See, we can be selfish when it comes to having a view of what God is going to do. Because here's the thing. It's not our plan. It's his plan. God doesn't perform according to our wishes. God's not some magic genie that, you know, we need to wave a wand and he shows up and says, what are your wishes? Let me run off and do it. We think God lives in our world, but the reality is that we live in His world. God doesn't live in our world. We live in His world. He is the orchestrator, the organizer, and the grand designer of everything. And so His prayer, His wish, His design, His calling, His blessing for us is to seek the peace of the city that we live in. Which means, where do you work? Where do you live? Where do you gather every Sunday? Do we seek the peace of the city that surrounds us? Because here's the main thing that God is trying to say. Because if it prospers, you will prosper. If you come to church and seek the prosperity of your church, as it prospers, you will prosper. As it grows, you will grow. We can't be divorced and separated from what God calls us to. We have to align our lives with God's vision and plan for our lives. That's something that we should be excited about. Amen? Amen. Are you excited about what God has for you? Because here's the thing. He says earlier in Jeremiah 29 verse 11, actually a little bit later than that, because this is the same whole message, 29 11. He gets to verse 11. He says, because I know the plans that I have for you. I have plans for you. And God is telling us this morning, just as much as he had plans for Israel, he has plans for you and for me. And he has plans for transformed church. Amen. Nothing is out of plan. Sometimes it looks like things are falling off, but it's God's grand design to orchestrate things to move us in the direction that he has put forth. Amen. You might not see that. We might not look at it through his eyes. We might not say, well, I'm not sure if this is right or I agree with that. But here's the thing. Oftentimes, we don't get to see the future because God does. And if we trust him, we will see what God does. Our choice ultimately is to say, God, I believe your plan. I put my hand into your hand and I'm going to trust you through the journey of this life. And I will see the victory of the Lord. So many times, 
Here again in Isaiah chapter 65, it's a similar circumstance, a similar situation to what's happening where God's people are going through turmoil and distress and they're going through a difficult situation. And he tells them again through another prophet, the prophet Isaiah in 65 verse 21. I'm going to read it to you because I don't think they have it on the screen. They said this, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the day of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. For they will be people blessed by the Lord, they and their descendants with them. This is what God says to people that are going through circumstances that might be difficult. You know, and sometimes we can identify with these people because all of us have been through similar situations. All of us have been through circumstances where we say, God, I don't understand why I'm in this. I don't understand why I have to go through this. I don't understand what's happening in my life. But God tells us, if you look to me, there's going to be a great future. So stop looking into our present and start looking with the eyes of God into the future that he has designed for us. And every single one of us are a puzzle intricately planned by God that put into place. It's like a massive puzzle, you know. All of us are pieces that God puts in place and we become this perfect picture of what God has designed the church to be. And you're important. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're important. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you're a piece of the puzzle. All of us are part of what God is doing in this house. You get to the New Testament. And it looks at this. It says that the church began to grow and prosper according to God's plan. But what you also have to understand is that the church came under tremendous persecution. You know how the church grew? It grew because it came under persecution. Sometimes we don't like to hear that. We think that if we're part of God's plan, everything must go smoothly. Everything is just fun and roses and, you know, walking through the day with like birds twittering in the sky. Someone playing us some, you know, a wonderful guitar and you get to stroll through this lovely sunset. That's what it sounds like when God has a plan. But in fact, that's not what the scripture tells us at all. That's not really how our plan is. Our plan sometimes goes through hell. If you don't believe me, look at the most famous psalm. Where does it start? It starts with beautiful pastures, right? It starts off, the Lord is my shepherd, lays me down in green pastures. It's wonderful. It's so serene, right? That's just what we're describing. Serene pastures, you know, wonderful lush grass. The sun is in the sky. Nothing is wrong. It's all beautiful. And then smack you get smacked with this value of death. Where did that come from? (laughs) I'm like, hold on, we just started off in green pastures and everything was good. Now why are we in the valley of the shadow of death? What did I do? You didn't do anything. Because the next verse says, Behold, the Lord is with you. He took you into the valley. He took you into the place where you thought you were going to die. 
But he just wanted to show you that he is the God of the green pastures as much as he's the God of the valley of death. Amen. That you're not out of his plan. And then he says, I prepare a table before you in the midst of your enemies. And you have to understand what it means. It means that you sit, you relax, and you enjoy a wonderful meal while your enemies are around you trying to destroy you. And it comes from this ancient sort of practice that happened back in the day. And the people that wrote this, David who wrote it, would have a clear understanding. What kings would do is when, when they captured a city, after they you know, plundered the city, they would sit in the town square as all the prisoners were led away. And they would feast. And so they were literally sitting down enjoying a meal in the presence of their enemies. And that's what God is saying to us. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. I'm with you. And I'm going to prepare something great for you. And then it ends up with surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Right? God is with us. The church, when it started started under persecution. The church, when it began to grow, grew under persecution. The church exploded under persecution. I'll just share this quickly with you. I wasn't planning on saying this. But I recently, you know, I watch a few YouTube videos, and sometimes I watch these videos because I really want to know what happens in the world. I was watching this video on North Korea. And they were interviewing some people, some defectors that brave difficult circumstances to escape from North Korea because it's a very oppressive regime. And so, you know, some of them have to escape through China and live there and try to go through Mongolia and come down and, and escape to get to South Korea. And they go through a very difficult process. And if they're caught, they return to North Korea and they're executed. But it's not them, just them that are executed. It's three generations that are executed. So it's not the father, if he tries to escape. It's the children and the grandchildren or the, or the father of the person to punish. And they do a public execution. And so they force people to watch this execution. Everyone 12 and older has to go there and watch this public execution to teach everyone not to do it. And so they were interviewing this person that managed to, a couple of people that escaped and ended up in South Korea. Some of them have left families and they don't even know if their families are alive or not. And so they asked them, you know, so what is it that you enjoy coming to South Korea? And they said, what was it like? And they talked about coming to South Korea and they didn't know how to take a bus because they never had that opportunity. So one of the ladies was really funny. She said that, you know, she was standing for a bus. They have to go through three months of training to actually get accustomed to society, how to function in society, because North Korea is so far off time, they just don't know how to function. They don't even know what the Internet is. So this lady is like, she slept through the class where they were teaching how to take a bus, apparently. So... She's standing in line, and the first guy in line, he gets up, and he gets to the counter, and he puts his butt up and sits down. And she goes, oh, I guess that's how you get on a bus here, right? And the lady was next, and the lady went up, and she took a handbag and touched the post, and she sat down. She goes, oh, I'm a lady, so I'll do my handbag. So she got up, and she 
put her hand back to the, to the thing. And nothing happened. She was like, they got beeps. I didn't get a peep. I guess they know I'm from North Korea. But to us, it's obvious, right? They have a bus card. He had it in his wallet, and she had it in her purse. But she had no clue what this meant. And she thought if she just puts her purse up there, that would work. And it's like, it's, but here's the thing that really got me. This one guy, he talked to, they asked him, so what are the good things about North Korea? Is there anything good about North Korea? And is there anything good? And he talked about all the natural things we talk about. You know, you have freedom. You could say what you want. You could go where you want. You can talk. You can't, you can express ideas, which you're not allowed to do. All of these things. And he goes, they go, what is the one good thing? Is there anything good about North Korea? And he goes, yes, there's actually something good about North Korea. And you would think, like, how do you say something good about this oppressive regime that constantly abuses, you know, treats its citizens like slaves, takes them to labor camps, executes them publicly? How, is there anything good that can be there? And he says, yes, there's something good. And the interviewer said, well, what, what is it that is good about North Korea? And he goes, you know what I found after living? And he's been in South Korea for 10 years now. He goes, when I came to South Korea... The first thing I experienced was freedom, and I actually began to cry. When he got, on that, got off that plane, he cried because he'd never experienced this before. And he said he tried to do things the way the South Koreans do things. You know, he tried to get a job, and he tried to do life. And he said, after 10 years, I came close to committing suicide. And you think, why would someone who lived under an oppressive regime come into freedom and then want to commit suicide. And they said, why, why would you do that? And he said, what I noticed is that everyone is fascinated about material things. I live in an apartment complex and I don't even know my neighbors. Because they're so busy trying to get better in life and get stuff and do stuff. And I don't even know their names. But when I was in my village and... We didn't have anything, but we knew everyone's name. We knew everyone's birthday. We celebrated together. We went through pain together, but we were together. And he felt alone and isolated. And even though he had freedom and all this stuff, he felt so alone that he was willing to take his life. Which comes back to this. Sometimes we think that people under persecution, actually we should feel sorry for. And yes, they sh we should, in a, in a way, be compassionate about them. But there's something that they might have that we actually lose. Because we live in freedom. We have the ability to search after so many different things and make things the priority. And we forget about relationships. We forget about connection. You know, and as I watched this video, I got really emotional because I'm like, some of the things, and you can go watch it on YouTube whenever you get home. Pull it up. It's there. And you listen to these stories of how these people went through tremendous difficult circumstances. But the one thing they're missing is their companionship and relationships. It's what strengthened them. I want to read to you what Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says. About a church that was under oppression from a world that was trying to stamp them out. This is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship 
and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all believers were together and had everything in common. Does that sound something familiar to the story that I just told you? They were living under oppressive situations. Early Christians, they were hated. They were thought to be the enemy. They were, they were, everyone wanted to stamp them out. But listen to what it says. The church grew because they were together. They met together. They fellowshiped together. They grew together. And they had things in common. And so I asked myself a question. What is the church that I see? What is the church that I see? When I look into the future, what is the church I see? You know what I see? I see a church like the early church that gathers together, not because it has to, but because it wants to. I see a church that stands up in love. I see a church that is vibrant in faith and begins to grow. I see a church that is loved and loves. I see a church that flows out of God's grace and love, that is not afraid to stand up and say, we love the Lord and we love you. That's the church I see. I see a church that gathers together and talks about the things that unites us rather than a church that gathers together and talks about the things that divide us. That's what the scripture says. They had all things in common. That doesn't mean you have to think the same. That doesn't mean you have to act the same. But they had a common purpose. And that was Jesus Christ and his church. And every single one of us that calls on the name of Christ. All of us Christ followers. We have this amazing thing in common. We might not come from the same background. We might not come from the same you know, country or race or any of those things. But we have the most amazing thing in common. And that's Jesus Christ. And if we can gather around Christ, if we can surround ourselves with like-minded believers and gather around Christ, have Him at the center, I'd see a church that is vibrant and on fire for Christ. I see a church that opens up its heart to the vision that God has implanted. I see a church that is willing to say, I'll step forward, I'll do, like, I will go, I'll take up the mantle. I'll take up the cause. I see a church that is generous in heart to the love that God has shown us. Not just when it comes to finances, but when it comes to the generosity of our hearts and our houses and our love and our embracement of people. That's the church I see. And if we sow into the grand vision that God has in this house, I believe that God is going to do something marvelous that we can't even begin to understand. Because that's what he says over and over again in scriptures. I show you a great future. I show you a great plan. I have plans to give you success. We can't be a church that chases after stuff in our individual lives and think that we have always seeking God at His finest. I think we need to see that relationships matter. I think we need to see that our brothers and sisters are important to us. I think it's important that we spend a few moments when we gather together, especially through the busyness of our lives, 
talking to one another, engaging with one another, or even during the week calling one another and just maybe catching up for a coffee. Church, I think what really matters to the heart of God is our relationship with Him and our relationship with each other. That's what I think touches the heart of God. That we really have a heart for His house and His people. And to really be connected through the vision what God has placed in this house. Because every house has a vision. Every church has a vision that comes from God. And God has placed a vision in our house. And I believe if we connect through it and we live it and we believe it, it will transform our lives, it will transform our city, and will transform the community. Because if we seek the prosperity of where we are, you will prosper just as much. Which is amazing. And I want to share with you some of the things we're talking about this year. You know, our 2020 vision is crucial to what God has in the house. Our vision, of course, is our broader vision, our greater vision is to impact nations and empower generations. That's why we're here. All of us are part of God's greater plan. And that goes through to every single area of our life, every single ministry that we do. We embrace this broader vision to impact nations and empower generations. Because it's not just about our small community here. It's about reaching across the world. It's about reaching to different areas and different communities and different cities and different nations. And I believe that God will raise up a new generation of young people or heart people or young in spirit or young in heart that want to impact the nations, that want to change the world. And not just focused on insular things, but focused on the expansion of what God has placed in their life and the greater community. It's so important that we understand that. And we do that through the values that we serve. We talk about it over and over. To serve, to love, and to honor. Again, it's the heartbeat of God. To serve our church and to serve our community. To love one another. To love God and to love His people. To honor God and all His people. And I really think that 2020 is what God is saying to us, to be a church that displays the heart of God. That's our desire, to be a church that displays the heart of God. But a church is made up of people. It's not an entity by itself. And every single one of us has to make a decision within us that we will display the heart of God. And when we come together, that love is manifested. We do it through where we work, we do it through where we live, we do it through where we gather, we do it through wherever we are. We come together and we display God's love one to each other. Amen. To grow together and to stand with each other. What does that mean? That we're committed to our growth and we're committed to the growth of the people around us. We want to see them grow in faith. We want to see them grow in faith and love with God. We want to see God's gifts and talents be expressed through them. I want to see that for you. As your leader, as your pastor, I would desire to see God's gifts manifest in you. And you really, really become what God has called you to become. Amen. It's so important that prayer is at the heart of everything we do. And I'm so grateful to the prayer team. Would you put your hands together for them? I want to recognize Norman. 
Ike, Millie, Bill, Mark. You know, we had our prayer and fasting week, and they were here every single week, every single day at 6 p.m. praying. On Friday night, we had midnight prayer. And it was awesome to be in the presence of God. I think a church that prays is a church that proceeds into God's place of victory. And so some of us couldn't make it, but I guarantee you they were here praying for you because I was here on Friday night and they prayed for every single one of you. Whether you were sleeping or whether you were at work, the team was here and they prayed for you. And we have a team that has a heart of prayer, and I love that. Because the worship you sensed this morning was not because, you know, just people came together. The praise team did an awesome job, but I believe it was grounded in prayer. That's what makes God draw near. And I want to ask you to be involved in prayer, not just the fact that, you know, when they're having prayer to come out, if you can come out, come out. But when their prayer warriors up here, I can guarantee you they've prayed before they even come up here. And if you're going through anything, don't be ashamed, don't be frightened to come up, because prayer changes lives. Prayer changes circumstances. Prayer changes things in your life. And, you know, there's nothing impossible with God. When we commit ourselves to Him, and when we talk to Him, and prayer is communication with God, we need to be the change, because prayer changes circumstances. And so as we gathered as a leadership team, we wanted to talk about some things that we wanted to do this year that really displays God's heart and God's love. So what are we launching What are we talking about this Vision Sunday? This is our theme for this year, and I really believe this. This is what it is. 2020, the year of God's promise. Amen. That's what it is. I believe that God's promise for all the things he said are going to come to pass this year. I believe in a great future that God has for us. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be great. Amen. It is going to be great. So let's really be encouraged. Let's listen to what the scripture says. Let's be invested, as we said, in one each other's lives. Let's be part of the great plan that God has in store for us. Amen? Amen. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend or someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.